You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. If you have your Bibles there, take them to the book of Micah, the book of Micah chapter number six, and we'll begin reading in verse number one, we'll read down to verse number eight. And when you find your place there, if you're able, if you could please stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God, Micah chapter number 6, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Micah chapter 6 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Verse number 2, Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy. And ye strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. O my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. Verse 4, for I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and redeemed thee out of the house of servants. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now. What Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul. He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Amen. And let's pray. Our Father, we love you. Thank you for your word, and thank you for the privilege to be in your house. May we never take it for granted. I thank you for the folks who came to the early service to drive in. And Lord, how my heart was so encouraged and blessed to see each and every one of those folks. Lord, I was blessed in Sunday school this morning, and I've been blessed already in this service. Lord, it just seems like the the singing has been uh, really as good as it gets, Uh, the, the choir, the congregational. Lord, I was so blessed to hear the Dixon family sing, Ain't God Good, to give us so many blessings. And then, Lord, to hear Brother Mike sing that song, that you save old sinners. And Lord, I am surprised and I am amazed that you would save a sinner like me. And I pray that we would never get over the fact that your grace and your mercy reached way down and you brought us up out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay and you set our feet upon a rock and you have established our going. You've given us purpose and direction. You've given us a reason to live. And Lord, I pray that you would now help us as we look at your word. May we not miss what you have for us. May it be a help. May it be a blessing. I pray if there's anyone here today or anyone listening to this service that does not know Christ as Savior, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. I pray for those in our church who are going through great sorrow and and, and loss of loved ones. I pray that you'd comfort them and help them. Lord, I think of what we're facing in our nation today. And Lord, we certainly need to get our eyes back on you and It's easy to say, but it's very difficult to do. And I pray that you'd help us to do that today. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. And we are so thankful to have a missionary, veteran missionary, Brother Pete Mord is with us. And he's been here before and just a blessing. My wife and I, we have known him and his family for so many years. He pastored up in Cedar Rapids, Iowa for many years. And my wife and her family, they grew up just doing things together with this family. And then I got to know them. And uh, we're so thankful that he's here. He's got family in Rocky Mountain. Drove up today uh, to be with us uh, while he is back on, uh, in the States. And uh, his ministry is in the Philippines. And we're so thankful for you, Brother Mord. And I look forward to uh, chatting with you a little bit after the service. And if I have time, I'd like to take you out to lunch. But I'm not sure, brother. I'm thinking we might be here a couple hours for this message. Um, I kind of got a little offended when people were talking about how much they love short messages. Yeah, brother. <laughs> Brother Mord, you're thinking, you got to get back to Rocky Mountain. We'll get you out. But if Brother Mord leaves, uh, the rest of you do not have permission to leave. Uh, you've got to stay. Ushers, if you would please secure the doors. And, no, I'm just kidding. We do need to get you probably to start checking in your car keys, right? We'll, we'll have a, a valet service where you cannot even get your keys to leave. Uh, although so many of you now live in the neighborhood, you'd say, fine, I'll leave my car. I'll walk home. But uh, we're so glad you're here, brother. You are a blessing. Micah chapter 6, and I'll tell you where I'm going, but I'll tell you right now I won't get there. Uh, I'll have to finish next week. I did the same thing with the drive-in. Uh, God has burdened my heart so much this week with verse number 8, and I'll let you just kind of take a look at it and just so you can kind of get your mindset and maybe pray this week that God would help us as we get to this text next week. But you know, I, I don't know how you are, but I know for me it's so easy to focus on what everybody else should be doing. You, you probably don't do that. I'm probably the only one. It's so easy to think, well, so-and-so should have done this. And if they would do their job, and if they would take care of this, and if they would have said this, or if they would have done this, and, you know, it's really easy to focus on what everybody else should be doing. But, you know, you're not going to stand before God for everybody else. But you're going to stand before God for you. And when we stand before God, I want to make sure that I have measured up and that I have met the requirements that God has for my life. That's what verse 8 says. Hey, it's no secret. It's not a mystery. God has showed us, He has made it very clear, what He requires of us. The requirements are there in verse 8. And please don't misunderstand me and please don't get confused. These are not requirements for salvation. These are requirements for after you get saved, how to please God, how to live for God, how to live a life that has purpose and meaning and fulfillment. I'm glad the only requirement for salvation is that you have to come to God just like you are. And you just have to say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Uh, I know I can't get to heaven on my own. I know there's nothing good in me, but Lord, I know that you paid the price and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. And guess what else you have to do? Nothing. That's it. You just put your trust in Jesus Christ and you say, God, if you will take me the way that I am, I confess my sin and I come to you and I accept that free gift of eternal life. I'm glad that salvation is simple. I will tell you the Christian life, uh, Christian life, there's some requirements. Now that's not to earn your way or keep your way because that's already been paid for. But there's some things that God expects. There's some things that God wants from us. And we'll get to that in verse number eight eventually. 
But I want you to notice as we begin in Micah 6 and verse number 1, Micah is a prophet. He was born in the southern kingdom of Israel. He was born in Judah. But God used him not just to preach to Judah, but God also used him to preach to Israel, the northern kingdom. Micah's messages were specifically aimed at the capital cities. He talks about in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, I want you to listen up, Samaria. That was the capital of Israel. Uh, that was a place where they had set up an altar to Baal. That was a place where uh, Ahab and Jezebel had led God's people into uh, idol worship and led them away from God. He also preached to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city of Judah, and he, he, he focuses on these big cities, these capital cities, because there was so much influence from those cities. Boy, have we not seen that in recent weeks, how much influence in our country comes from the big cities. You've, I know you've seen the map, and I understand there's a lot of places on the map where nobody lives, but you've seen the map where there's the blue and the red, the United States map. It's kind of hard to see the blue on that map, isn't it? But can I tell you, there's so much influence from those big cities where the population is so high and it's so uh, massive and it's just uh, uh, so uh, intense. So the big cities have a big influence. So pastor, what do we do? Do we pack up? Do we close up shop? Do we all move to the big cities? I, I wouldn't recommend that. But I got good news for you. The big cities have a lot of influence, but God can use the little cities too. God can use the small towns. There can be some great things happening in a place like Roanoke Rapids. And I always say Roanoke Rapids as the small town, but in our area, Brother Mort, in our area, Roanoke Rapids is the big city. We got cities all around us that are, uh, uh, you blink and you know, you miss it. Turn with me to Micah chapter five, just one uh, uh, chapter earlier. I'll tell you about a little city that God used in a big way. Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. Micah prophesies and says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Can I tell you, Bethlehem was a little place. There wasn't much coming out of Bethlehem. But God said, Thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of these shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. Oh my, it sounds like somebody important is going to come from Bethlehem. It said, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Do you know any everlasting kings that have come out of Bethlehem? I do. King Jesus. And it may seem like the big cities are calling the shots and it may seem like the big cities are setting the direction, but God chose a little place like Bethlehem and said, mark it down, I'm sending my son. And my son Jesus is gonna be born in Bethlehem and he's gonna live a perfect life and he's gonna die on the cross and he's gonna pay the price for the sin, not just of Bethlehem and not just of Israel, but of the whole world and not just present day, but past present future he would die on the cross for the sins of all mankind and it all came from a little place hallelujah i'm glad i'm in the place where god put me 
I'm glad I'm in the place where God wants me because God is not limited by the size of your city. God is not limited by your location or your geography. God can do big things out of little places. Hallelujah for that. In chapter 3, Micah addresses the leadership of Israel. In Micah chapter 3 and verse number 1, he says, Here I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know judgment? Verse 2, who hate the good and love the evil. Now, you understand that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's actually opposite. But the leaders in Israel, the princes in Israel, they actually hated what was good and they loved that which was evil. Kind of sounds like the United States of America. Kind of sounds like the world we're living in. God said the, the, to Micah, he said, you preach to those princes and you tell them, he said, this is not right that you're hating the good and loving the evil. And then the sins of the prophets. Notice in chapter three, verse number five, thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err. He said, you are causing my people to be led in error. You are leading my people astray. And here was their sin. Verse number Five, that they bite with their teeth and cry peace, and he that putteth not into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. We see that the prophets, their message was peace. Their message was, you're going to be okay. Their message was, everything's going to be all right. You don't have to change what you're doing. You don't have to worry about anything else. You don't have to worry about your sin. You don't have to get right with God. You just need to make sure that you're happy. <laughs> you just need to make sure that you're feeling good about yourself. Can I tell you, God help us for preachers that only preach what people want to hear. I think those preachers ought to quit their job, but I think they ought to go make an honest living. If you can't preach what the Bible says and if you can't tell the truth, can I tell you, you're not helping things, you're hurting things. And the prophets, they were guilty of using smooth words. Just everything was, was fluff and everything was pat yourself on the back. And then the sins of the leaders is found in chapter 3 and verse 9. They were guilty of perverting judgment. They were not executing righteous judgment, but they were guilty of, of taking that judgment and twisting it to make it fit their life and to fit their benefit. You see, God always deals with nations. God always deals with the leadership of nations. God will deal with the princes of this world. God will deal with the prophets and the preachers of this world. God will deal with the leaders and the rulers of this world. I want you to hold your place in Micah 6, and would you turn back with me to the book of Daniel? The book of Daniel, you have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. We find in Daniel chapter 2 that Daniel is interpreting uh, a, a, a dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And in chapter 2 and verse number 19, Daniel reminds Nebuchadnezzar, and it's recorded in the scripture for us. Verse 19, then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. Verse 21, He changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings, and He setteth up kings. Oh, that's interesting. You see, 
all the kings of Israel and all the kings of Babylon and all the kings of Medial Persia and all the kings of Greece and all the kings of Rome and all the kings of all the centuries, they weren't sitting on a throne because they put themselves there. They were sitting on the throne because God set them up. God sets up and God takes down kings. Notice with me in Daniel chapter 4. Here we see Nebuchadnezzar is testifying what he learned as a beast of the field. He was seven years a living like an animal because of his pride. God humbled him. And verse number 17, we see this lesson that Nebuchadnezzar had to learn. It says in Daniel 4, 17, This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent, or here, to the purpose, that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. Now think about this. What the message to Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel gives is, Nebuchadnezzar, you need to understand that you're not in charge. You may be the king of Babylon. You may be the king of the, 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 the greatest empire in the world at that time, but you're not in charge. The, the living, those that are alive, need to know that the Most High, that God Almighty is the one who rules in the kingdom of men, and he giveth it, verse 17, to whomsoever he will. You know what that means? God gets to choose. And God can choose anybody he wants to, to be in charge. He can choose anybody he wants to, to be the president, to be the governor, to be the congressman, to be the senator. God can choose whoever he wants to. And then it says in verse number 17, and kind of like a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a, a jab here to Nebuchadnezzar says, oh, and by the way, sometimes he setteth up the basest of men. Sometimes he sets up the lowest. Sometimes he sets up the worst. Sometimes he doesn't pick the, the best one. Sometimes he puts somebody else in just so that you know that God's in charge. Glad to know that God's in charge. Verse number 25 that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times or seven years shall pass over thee, till thou know, Nebuchadnezzar, till you understand, till you realize that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and he giveth it to whomsoever he will. That verse is repeated again, verse number 32, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it, to whomsoever he will. You see, God is the one who sets up and takes down world rulers. God is the one who has the final say, and I'm glad for that. I will say this, this election that we have seen and this election that we are still witnessing as things unfold, I hope this election has been a reminder to all of us as Christians that we better have a whole lot more confidence in our king than we do in our president. I hope this election has taught us that our hope and our trust and our future and our expectation is not in a man, but our expectation and our hope is in God and Him alone. The children of Israel wanted a king. God wasn't good enough for them. They said, we want a king. You know why? Because they wanted to be like all the other nations. And Samuel said, I'm telling you, you don't want a king. That's not going to be good for you. They said, give us a king. And so they got Saul. You know what they found out when they got King Saul? They were better off with King Jesus. 
Can I tell you, God sets up and God takes down the world rulers. God is the one who is in control. And in Micah's day, it was pretty bad. In Micah's day, it was pretty bleak. But he said, I want you to know that God has a message for his people. Notice chapter 6, verse 1. Hear, listen, pay attention. Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. It's interesting because it sounds like God is telling Micah, hey, go preach to the mountains. Go preach to the hills. Now, you say, well, why would Micah need to go preach to the mountains and hills? Well, one reason was because the people weren't listening. And isn't that a shame when God's own people won't listen to their creator, the one that made them? Isn't it a shame when God's people won't listen to the one who loved them and redeemed them and purchased them and saved them and God's people weren't listening? Also, God sends Micah to these mountains and hills to preach because those were the scenes of the crimes. Those were the places where God's people had sacrificed to idols. Remember in the Old Testament when it would talk about their high places, and their groves that they would set up for worshiping false gods? Well, God tells Micah, he says, I want you to go to that spot. I want you to preach there because guess what? The evidence is right there. And God is laying out a case, a court case against his people. And he said, those mountains, they're still full of the bones from those animal sacrifices. They're still full of the ashes. As a matter of fact, those altars are still there where God's people had worshiped false gods. He says, go and preach to the mountains. Verse 2, hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy. That word controversy is a complaint. He says, hear the Lord's controversy and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with his people and he will plead with Israel. That word plead is a legal term. It means to bring charges against someone. And God says, I'm bringing charges against you. God says, I've got a complaint. I've got a case against you. And he said, I want you to listen and I want you to hear what the problem is. And then verse number three, before God continues with the case, he says, oh, my people. These were God's people. They belonged to God. But he said, oh, my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee. He says, what have I done wrong? God says to his people, he says, what have I done to hurt you? What have I done to disappoint you? He says, wherein have I wearied thee? That word weary, it means uh, how have I made you tired or how have I offended you or how have I grieved you? He says, why are you weary of worshiping me? I want to ask Victory Baptist Church this morning, I want to ask if maybe God needs to ask that question of us. Why are we weary of worshiping Him? You say, Pastor, you're talking to the wrong person. I'm here. I'm in church. I came to worship God. Or you're watching and you say, Pastor, the reason I'm watching is because I want to get something from the Word of God. I want to worship God. I want to serve God. And, and you're listening on the radio and say, I, I'm listening. I want to worship God. That's why I'm tuning in. Well, I'm thankful for that. 
But did you know worshiping God is not just an event that we participate in once a week? Worshiping God ought to be every day. Worshiping God, as Brother Nathan preached about on Wednesday night, worshiping God and spending time at the feet of Jesus and spending time in the Bible and spending time in prayer and spending time thanking and praising God. It cannot be reserved for Sunday only. It can't be reserved for once a week or twice a week. It must be something that we do every day because God is worthy of our daily worship. God is worthy of our daily praise. And he says, what have I done? How have I wearied you? How have I worn you out? Or how have I grieved you so that you will not worship me? And then he says this, he says, testify against me. It's like God's given them their opportunity in court. He said, okay, go ahead and speak up. Give me your testimony. Give me your answer. Give me your response. What have I done to thee? Wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. Then we get to verse number four. And God reminds his people that he hadn't done anything to hurt them. And he hadn't done anything because he didn't love them. He hadn't done anything to make their life harder. God reminds them that he's the one that saved them. He's the one that gave them life. He's the one that gave them purpose. He's the one that brought him into the promised land. He's the one that saved them. Verse 4, he says, I brought thee out of the land of Egypt. God said, if it weren't for me, you'd be back in Egypt. You'd still be a slave and you'd still be in bondage. And, and things wouldn't be better for you. They would be worse. He said, remember how I brought you out of Egypt? You remember that story? They didn't have any way out. And as a matter of fact, when the Egyptians were getting nervous, the Egyptians said, we're just going to start tossing the babies in the river because we don't want them to get stronger. They might rise up and they might over, overcome us. They said, that's not happening. And then they said, we're going to make their life harder. We're going to give them more work. We're going to require more production. We're going to give them less supplies to work with. And that was the, the mindset of the Egyptians. We're going to make your life miserable. And God stepped in and said, oh, no, you don't. I'm taking them out. And God says, I brought you up and I got you out of Egypt. Verse number four, and redeemed thee. He says, I purchased you. I paid the price for you. He says, I, I gave something so that I could take you to myself. He says, I redeemed you out of the house of servants. I want to remind us this morning, we must never forget what God has done in our lives. And the greatest thing that God ever did for you was not the job you have, not the house you live in, not the car you drive. The greatest thing God ever did for you was something nobody else could do. He sent his son to die on a cross so that you could be redeemed, so that you could be saved, so that you could be born again, so that you could have a home in heaven. God reminds them what he did for him. Verse number four, he says, not only did I bring you out of Egypt, not only did I redeem you, but then he says this, I sent before thee, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Isn't that interesting? Well, what did those three people do for Israel? They led them. They're the ones that got them from Egypt, that got them from in through the wilderness and, and got them on their way to the promised land. We know what Moses did. That's pretty common. Moses was the leader. 
He was the general. He was the one that, that, that led the way, and God spoke to Moses. But then they have, we have Aaron. You know, Aaron was the spiritual leader. He was the priest for God's people. Uh, Miriam, notice, and uh, you don't have to turn there, but in Exodus 15, I'll, I'll have you jot it down. You can look at it later. Miriam is referred to as a prophetess. Now, I understand that we don't have women preachers and we don't have all that, but you know what it says in Exodus 15? It says that Miriam, after Moses sang the song of Moses, uh, sing to the Lord for he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider he's thrown into the sea. Miriam got the ladies together and she said, I tell you what, Let's sing it again. And she led them in that same song and she led in worship and she led in praising God. Can I tell you, Moses had some struggles in his life. You remember those? Remember while he was still in Egypt, he killed a man. He kind of got ahead of God's, uh, God's schedule and God had to send him to the backside of the desert for 40 years. Yeah, Moses had his struggles in the wilderness as well. Aaron had his struggles. He said, I don't know where, where, where Moses is. Let's put together this golden calf. Let's worship this. Yeah, he had some struggles. Miriam had some struggles. Miriam was critical of Moses, and Miriam and Aaron kind of ganged up on Moses, and God smote Miriam with leprosy. But can I tell you, these three people all had struggles, but God used them to lead his people. He knew that his people would need somebody that they could follow. They would need somebody to lead them in worship and lead them in the direction and draw them closer to God. I am so thankful for the men of our church. I'm thankful for our deacons and our Sunday school teachers and choir members and bus workers and ushers and greeters and soul winners and the list goes on and on. I'm thankful for our deacons. I'm thankful for our staff. I'm thankful for the men of our church. But can I remind you, we are so blessed in our church for the ladies that God has given us. I'm telling you, you want to see a church shut down in a hurry? Just take all the ladies out. And guess what? That church is not going to accomplish much of anything. I'm thankful for my wife. And much of what she does, you don't see or you don't hear about. But I'll tell you this, I wouldn't be where I am today, not even close, without a wife who is faithful and a wife who is supportive. I'm thankful for our staff wives. I'm thankful for Miss Grace and Miss Kelly and Miss Jen, all they do for their husbands, but all they do for the ladies of our church, all they do for the ministries. I'm thankful for my mom who works in that, uh, that church office Monday through Friday in the mornings, and I'm thankful for all that she does. I'm thankful for the ladies who you saw this morning singing in a choir. I'm thankful for the ladies that play our instruments I'm thankful for our ladies. Miss Drew was in that drive-in service and for about 25 years, she led the choir at Victory Baptist Church. Can I tell you, I'm thankful for some ladies that have encouraged others to live for God and serve God and have made a difference with their lives. I'm thankful for the ladies we have who teach Sunday school. I'm thankful for the ladies we have who work in our junior churches and work in our nurseries. And I'm thankful for the ladies that we have in all of these ministries and all of these events and all the things that we do. And can I tell you, God has given us some people to help us and to lead us and to guide us. And may we be faithful to follow those people as they follow the Lord. God said, I'll tell you this. He said, I brought you out of Egypt. 
I redeemed you, and I've sent before thee Moses and Aaron and Miriam. I've given you some people to follow. I've given you some people to lead the way. But verse number three, we come back to the question that God asks. He says, what haven't I done? Or, or what have I done that was wrong? What have I done to hurt you? What have I done to offend you? What have I done to grieve you? And, and he says, go ahead and just tell me, why are you weary? Why are you tired of worshiping me? Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're listening this morning. And on the outside, we'd never guess. It, you got a smile on your face and it looks like everything's good, but maybe in your heart, maybe you've gotten tired of worshiping God. Maybe you've gotten tired of reading the Bible. Maybe you've gotten tired of praying. Maybe you've got tired, but you've not been tired to do other things. Isn't that amazing? God's people didn't just stop worshiping everything. They stopped worshiping God and they started worshiping idols. They started worshiping false gods. Maybe you're here. Maybe you say, I am weary. I'm be honest with you, Pastor. I'm a little bit discouraged. I'm, I'm having a hard time with what's going on in our world or what's going on in my life or what's going on with this, that, or the other. But can I tell you, Galatians 6, 9 reminds us, and let us not be weary in well-doing. How come? Because in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. I'll promise you this, when you stand before the Lord, you're not going to have any regrets that you worship God too much. I promise you that. But you will have some regrets, and I will have some regrets that we didn't worship Him more. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.